0: Welcome back to the Good Fight
1: Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And with me, as always, is the show's producer, Tony Palacio. How are you doing today, bro?
0: Praising God. He is good. He is so
1: good. And this is the first episode back for our new year. We are in 2020. 21, the year of our lord's birth 2021 <laughs> and so we are really really excited to be able to share a whole nother year with you guys and uh, i think before i even start on what we're going to do today for this episode i really want to just say praise god praise god for you guys uh this last year i know 2020 was tough on a lot of people and as well as us you guys know we've been dealing with stuff with joe uh dealing with stuff uh you know A ton of people here have lost family members and different things uh, that have gone on this year. But nonetheless even when we're sorrowful, we are yet always rejoicing because we have the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the great things about having the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing him is knowing full well that even if we don't understand what's going on in any given moment, we know who holds the cards. We know that our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died for us, that he holds all things together. So we thank God for that, and we thank God for the hope that we have in Christ. So, I'm excited, and I was talking to Tony. We had planned a few episodes, and I said, you know what? Recently, and a lot of you guys know, if you for those who listen to the show, that I I do a discipleship group uh, locally for a lot of the young guys who are looking to— uh, some are just looking to learn, to learn a little bit more, specifically doctrinal teaching and stuff, but then others, we've been doing a lot of teaching uh, examination and also looking into how to share the truth of God's Word, not only in— Presenting the gospel, but also in the edification of the body. Those, a lot of guys, I believe, out of this group, um, I believe the Lord is probably calling uh, quite a few of them to be pastors and elders and teachers and also husbands um, and also uh, just men of God who know God's word and know how to share it with others. So, Um, It's something we've been working on, and one of the things I had them do uh, a number of months ago was I wanted them to look at a verse, one verse, memorize it, come back, not only memorized, but also understanding the syntax, understanding what it says in the original language, where those texts, where something, a specific word may be used in other places that... It correlates to that verse. and then just looking in the immediate context, if they could, understanding uh, that when they share something that maybe they've memorized a verse, they understand where it's from. If I memorize jeremiah twenty nine eleven that God has plans for me to prosper and for my good, uh, I need to also recognize that that's not just talking about specifically, me going through whatever, and that God's going to prosper me and make me more money, but recognize that God will even use a Babylonian captivity that sounds absolutely horrific to go into in a way to bring about prosperization for an entire nation. And so theres it's really good to understand the context. And then what we did for the last couple months was I gave each of them, uh, the guys in my discipleship group, a book to give a commentary on. Uh, So they would have to look specifically not only at one text, but look at the totality of the book, who wrote it, uh, when it was written, some of the conflicts that were being addressed in it, and then just give kind of a section-by-section look at what was being built up by the author. Now, I gave them all epistles uh, from the New Testament, so they were a little shorter. Some of the guys had Romans, like Nico. I I told you guys about that if you were listening to last week's show, but but nonetheless— and uh, I think Travis had Second Corinthians, so those are only two longer books, I guess, uh, that I gave him, you know, Titus and, and Jude and so forth, but uh, something that I said, you know, you guys do that one, and what I'm going to give you, and I gave this last week to them, is the entire Bible. So uh, that one, I've, I'm still teaching through it. They're listening. Li- no, I'm just kidding. They're not listening. Lie, <laughs> but uh, but I did teach through it as best as I could, as a in a concise manner. And you know, Good Fight Ministries is all about brevity here, and we usually keep everything really short. Now. You guys all know we're always running against the <laughs> clock on everything, um, and I blame Joe. He is the guy who's discipled me, so when I am running late and don't get through my notes, not running late, I'm typically pretty good on my my time, uh, Tony knows that, but uh, in terms of running, uh, you know, where you're looking at a clock and you hate it because it just keeps clicking the time across, that's usually us. But, but nonetheless, I wanted to do something fun and say, hey, if we're going to start anywhere, Yeah, let's we've been going a lot of the trees and not necessarily the forest and a lot of the teachings, especially if you listen to our Typology Tuesdays where we are, I think, 14 verses in. Is that correct, Tony? Right around there? 14 or 15 15 verses all the way through. And uh, we've only been doing that for, you know, a year and a half. Right. So uh, to give you an idea. I am not going to do that. What I am going to do is a quick survey of the entire Bible, the theme of Scripture, and not only the proclamation, the exclamation, and uh, hopefully it would be a benefit to you. I had shared this, as I said, last Monday, and somebody asked me if I recorded it, and I did not. So what better way than to do it for the Good Fight radio show? And so that is what I'm going to do. I want to talk to you guys about... An overall survey of the entire Bible, what it says, what it means, uh, and what God's ultimate plan is from the beginning. So what better way to start than in the book of Genesis? Actually, I think a better way to start is before the book of Genesis, because the fact is, as the Bible tells us that in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth. But we could also parallel this to John chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, "...in Harkaien and Prostantheon and Alagas." And guess what? What it's saying is, in the beginning, before, just before there was, forever and ever, through to eternity, that God was face-to-face. God the Son, the Word that became flesh, 14 verses later, was in the beginning with, face-to-face with God the Father. And so we have in the eternal nature of the Godhead, one of the most beautiful things to recognize is the fact that love actually existed brief before God's creation because there was perfect love and unity between Father, Son and Holy Spirit before cre- creation ever came into existence. There are those teachers as such as R.C. Sproul Jr. who teach things like God has to pour out his wrath so he gets just as much glory from pouring out his wrath on filthy sinners as he does of choosing the elect to be saved. But actually, one of the eternal attributes of God is specifically is love. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, And so that happened before there was ever wrath because they never had wrath upon each other, not until there was creation and wickedness to pour out his wrath upon. But what we have in Genesis 1 is the the creation account, God creating the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And then God also creates man He creates man in his image. And when he creates man, man, it's not good for him to be alone. If there's ever a time to talk about this, when God sees that it's not good for man to be alone, it's great to talk about this when people are out of fellowship, right? God saw that that was not to our benefit. It was not good for man to be alone. So he created the woman, the one who came after the man and created him from his side as he slept and then awoke him. And then guess what? They also not only would live there in the garden, and it says that basically as them as it was a custom, God would walk amongst them. I think that's really, really cool when you think about them in the cool of the day. Now, before we get to that exact portion, one of the things that takes place is that the woman is deceived by the serpent, who later in the book of Revelation we're told uh, that the serpent, and also in Isaiah, I want to say Isaiah, it's, I always mix them up. Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. There we go, are the two accounts we have of Satan in the prophets, and uh, specifically, and one of them mentioned specifically that he was there in the Garden of Eden. And we think about he is this serpent of old, the deceiver, and Satan comes and deceives Eve. And in the New Testament, on the commentary on that event, it actually says that Adam was not deceived. He went headlong into sin, and there's a lot of different opinions on Adam going into sin and choosing to sin. And why he did that, and one of which I've heard at a number of weddings, Uh, Joe has given this at a number of weddings, as not, hey, this is dogma, you guys have to believe this or you're wrong, sort of thing. But hey, a lot of the reason is probably that he loved her and saw that she had died and he partook willfully into that sin. And then sin came into the world. And God, it's heartbreaking, but God then curses the ground we then have what is called in theology the Proto-Evangelium, or the Proto-Evangelium, and what that is is the first gospel proclamation in the third chapter of Genesis, and in that chapter what we see is the promise that at some point that, serpent's, that serpent would be smashed, would be smashed by the heel of the seed of the woman, that through that woman there would be a seed that would come, and that seed eventually would be Jesus himself, by the way, and it would bruise the heel of that seed of Jesus. So yes, he was bruised, he was crushed, he was pierced for our iniquities, and the promise of that took place all the way back in Genesis, the third chapter, and what we have in the entirety of the Old Testament, from Genesis all the way to Malachi, over and over again, is Not only man attempting to cover up their sin by their own ways, because what took place in that event before the Proto-Evangelium is given... What takes place is Adam and Eve, when they sin, when they fall into sin, they notice that they are naked and they begin doing their own cover-up of sin. What they do to cover up their sin is they take leaves and cover it up. God says that's not enough and we actually have the first sacrifice there in the third chapter of Genesis where God does sacrifice And cover them with blood. Because as it is said in Leviticus and quoted in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so we have this picture of man once again covering up sin. We have this picture once again of man wanting to do it his own way. And then the same thing befalls and happens to Adam and Eve's children under Cain and Abel. Because you see, they both, Cain and Abel, are given. Uh, they're given children, not just Cain and Abel, but a number of children, obviously, at that time that Adam and Eve were having. But we have the first murder in the Bible because of what? Jealousy, which is what typically murder, <laughs> a lot of murders that happen today, happened to because happen because of jealousy. And so what we have here is once again. Cain and Abel, and God gives Cain a warning right before he does the dirty deed of killing his own brother. He said, sin is crouching at this door. It's desirous for you, but you must master it. You must be over it. And he does not. And sin was crouching out at the door, and he does not master over it. And because of his jealousy, because his brother Abel's sacrifice was accepted, the sacrifice that, that was of his own unblemished uh, animal there was accepted, the sacrifice of Cain was not, the in bitterness grew, and guess what? He killed his brother. And then go forth from there... Cain is worried that the civilization, they're going to kill him. God says, no, I'm going to give you a mark. He sends Cain out, and civilization starts with Cain. And then over the course of time, more and more men are are made. Um, They're they're plenty fruitful, and they plenty multiply. And what takes place is after that, you have, in Genesis 6, one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture, because it says that the hearts of men grew to a place where they were evil continually all the time, evil continually. So their hearts are evil continually. And so God has another plan. Because their hearts are evil continually, God is still going to repopulate this earth that we are on. And he's going to do it through one man and through his family. And that is through none other than Noah. So God does that. He Uses Noah. Noah is a preacher of righteousness. He preaches over and over to them. They obviously do not listen. They do not get on the boat. They are not part of his family that do. And here comes the flood. And the flood does rush over and kill them all because of their wickedness. You know, and this is a part where I have to point out the hypocrisy of so so many uh, when it comes to liberals, something I think about a lot, uh, especially considering the new that that movie that had come out, Noah which was such a horrendous satanic film that they had brought up, plus the rock people, but we won't get into that part. Um, But one of the things that you would see over and over again is something like Russell Crowe, the guy who played Noah, would talk about how God was really a terrible character and such a horrible person. But this same, you know, Russell Crowe is obviously the guy who's famous for throwing telephones at people he's mad at and so forth. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, he also, when you think about it, the hypocrisy of so many in uh, liberals who want you know want to you know condemn God when he brings forth judgment but also be the same ones who on the other side of their mouth ask over and over why does God allow this and why does God allow that uh, the fact is is that yes we all want justice and God will eventually wipe out every rapist and pedophile and so forth but it doesn't stop there God is also coming to wipe out not just the rapist, not just the pedophile, but the liar, the thief, the adulterer, the unbeliever, those who have not come to Christ, even though he has given them grace after grace to come to know him, and yet they reject him. And guess what? He's coming to wipe them all out. But he says in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 in the New Testament that he's not slow, but he's patient, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And I thank God every day that he did not come And that I did not get flooded out before my time, before I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God then repopulates the earth once again with Noah. But as people tend to do, next thing you know, we're building a tower. And once again, man is trying their own way to get to God. And man does this through the tower of what we now call Babel. And what God does is as they're attempting to build this up into the heavens... God changes their language so they don't understand each other. And praise God for that. That's why we can go eat sushi and tri-tip and all those different foods. I'm guessing we'd all have just one soup if we all didn't have all those different cultures. (laughs) But but nonetheless, after that, what takes place? The next greatest event, I guess you would have to say, in the scriptures would be God coming to Abraham. And Abram, I'm sorry, before God gives him his name. And... This is where I'll kind of speed up here. Otherwise, we won't get to the the good stuff, I guess. Uh, Tony already gave me we were halfway down about a couple minutes ago. So I'm going to try to go a little faster. But... God promises Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 3, that all of the world will be blessed through him and through his seed, and that he will make him like the nations would be like the sea, like the stars in the sky, that like the sand on the seashore, and that through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that's what takes place after that. Some radical stories happen over and over again. You have Abraham going, a wonderful picture, once again, Tupas, typology, a wonderful picture of Abraham, Isaac in the New Testament it tells us that Abraham actually believed unto the resurrection he knew no matter what when God told him you must sacrifice your son he knew even if because God never lies and when God came to him and promised him that he would make the seed through that son he knew that would take place so he believed even if he sacrificed his son He believed that the resurrection would take place, that his son would be resurrected, that Isaac would not die there because God was still going to get his seed through that child. So God was still going to do something, and what I do believe was taking place was not only a great picture on the Mount of Moriah, which is also in the—that is more of the region, and specifically, I believe, under the New Covenant, when we see Jesus die on the Mount of Golgotha in that same place. Golgotha is on the region of Moriah, and I believe— It probably, or maybe just more surmising, probably was right there in the same place that Abraham took his son Isaac to be crucified. But nonetheless, even if it wasn't, it is a wonderful picture because what takes place is Abraham goes up there with Isaac and he says, the Lord will provide a lamb, but the Lord provides a ram caught in the thickets, almost like a crown of thorns, caught in the thickets. And guess what takes place? He does He does sacrifice that ram there, but one day there would be a lamb that would come, a lamb that is prophesied, one that would be called out from the wilderness, make a way for the Lord by his own cousin, John the Baptist. But nonetheless, what takes place is after that sacrifice, I do believe that God was showing he was different than all the false gods that required sacrifice of humans. And he was showing I do not actually require that here. And I will show you I am different than those other gods. And going forward, you have Abraham, you have Isaac, and you have Jacob and his 12 sons. Now, there are a lot of events that take place. And I think just a study in Genesis could just, should take many, many years to get through all 50 chapters, right? But this is where we have the culmination of so many pictures of what God was doing and how he was going to reconcile, how he was going to reconcile man to man. And so what happens is, Abraham. And uh, once again has Isaac, Isaac then also has um, his wife given to him, Eleazar, the 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 servant of Abraham goes and gets the bride, Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, as a picture, I believe, is the Holy Spirit going to get the bride of Christ. He gets Rebecca. They have a child, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob then, uh, not only with his son Esau, God knowing that Jacob would be one who would do anything, even making some good soup in order to get it, would do any for anything for the birthright, whereas his brother Esau, even before the womb, God knew that Esau, in his providence, would be be someone who would sell the birthright, sell his own birthright for a cup of soup. And so God knew exactly who it was that he wanted to use to bring forth that seed that he promised. And so he used Jacob, even though when you first look at Jacob's life, you're like, he's pretty deceitful, all this stuff, until you see the end of his life. Till you see the end of the end of his life, where he where he calls God the God of Jacob towards the end of his life, as a, it's just a, a radical, radical picture. But Jacob has a number of sons, one of which is Joseph. And Joseph is an even more wonderful picture, maybe, maybe than, than Isaac. I don't know, more, more wonderful. I don't want to say that. They're both such great typologies, and I can't wait to meet them all in heaven. But nonetheless, what we have is a great typology in Joseph because he is given over, he's rejected by his own kin. He's rejected. He's thrown into a pit, right? And later they will come to him when they are in need. Later they will come to him when they are in famine because he's lifted up even by Gentiles. Interestingly enough, and they come forth and he does feed them and he does forgive them. And later in the prophets, when we read in Zechariah, specifically chapter twelve, we know that this fountain of cleansing will take place for Israel, that even though they rejected him, as Isaiah fifty three quite clearly says, that who will believe his report, that they re- rejected him, we thought him smitten of God, that they even if they what they meant for evil, God will return with good. And in the end times, as it's quoted in Romans chapter 11 quite clearly in the end times At that time, not that all Israel will be saved for all time, but at the end times, there will be that remnant that comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ because they will do exactly what what Zechariah 12 says, that they will look on him, and in fact, actually, it says they will look on me whom they've pierced, Yahweh, the same word used earlier in that chapter in Zechariah 12 to describe me, myself, they will look on me whom they've pierced and grieve bitterly, and that's when the fountain of cleansing is open, that is when all Israel at that time will be saved. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture in Joseph. But let's keep going forward. After Joseph, we have the books of the book of Exodus, right? In the book of Exodus, what we have is Joseph is forgotten long ago in Egypt, all the things that took place, all the wonderful things he did. And what happens is the Israelites begin to be enslaved. And as they begin to be enslaved, it gets worse and worse for them because they're growing in number, the same promise that God had given Abraham that would take place. And as they grow in number, guess what? The Pharaoh says, We can't have this. We need to kill the firstborn. A wonderful picture not wonderful, horrible picture, I guess, of what would take place with Jesus as well, right? Because Moses said, one would come unto you like me. And guess what? Herod would also try to kill Jesus. It would be pointing. These are pictures. These are historical acts that were pictures of what would come in the Messiah. And Moses then is used in a powerful way to get the Israelites out of Egypt, and take them out. God sends plagues to Egypt and he also takes the firstborn of every Egyptian, but it's a little different uh, because when God takes the firstborn, he takes them back to himself because that's who he is. He's the author of life. He's the giver of life. He can take it whenever he wants, and they don't deserve to have those children, and God took them at the Passover, which is also a picture of Christ himself because those who would be passed over were those that had the blood covering over them as God would pass over them. It's the same thing that happens to each and every one of us. but what would happen and what would take place with Moses is after he would exit them out Moses is a picture of how the law can get you how far the law can get you the law can get you all the way to but not walk you into the promised land there was another person that would come after Moses after they had entered covenant with God that they were going to follow him they were still not allowed to enter the promised land because of their murmuring and guess what it wasn't until Yahoshua Joshua came and was they were able to enter the promised land what would take place over time and this is where i have to go as fast as fast can be what would take place over the time of the history of israel is once again over and over again first they are given judges god wanted them to have judges and for him to be their king israel said no we'll do this god on our own we'll have our own king and they are given saul after saul they are given david after david they are given solomon after solomon they are given his sons and they would split up the kingdom northern and southern israel southern would be called judah and this would be a ton of problems as we go forward. Okay. You have them worshiping at them, not in the way that God asked them to worship. And what took place there is you have, when you read first and second kings and first and second chronicles, in kings we recollect and look back at the history of those kings at those times, mostly the kings of Israel. And then in first and second chronicles are mostly chronicles of the kings of Judah. And so when we look at this. And see, what happened over and over again throughout Israel's time is they would follow, they would turn. They would follow, they would turn. And God promised through the prophets at that time that there would be a new covenant that would come to Jeremiah. God was divorcing them from their old covenant because of their harlotry over and over again, but he would bring a new covenant, and that covenant would be written on their hearts. And the covenant that he wrote on their hearts would then be, what, given in the person of Jesus Christ. All those promises leading up there you see because after malachi the promise was there would be a famine in the land that they would not be hearing from the from god and that takes place until john the baptist father who god deposits more back into the land there before the ultimate, the culmination of the Messiah that they've been looking for. These blood of goats and bulls and so forth, those things would never do what the Messiah, the great high priest, would do, and that's what he did in Jesus Christ when he died on that cross, and he was that culmination. So what you have is a deposit from God to the, to the priest there um, with uh, John the Baptist's father And then going forward, what God would do is not only Jesus coming, we celebrate the fact that the incarnation, but Jesus coming for one purpose, and that was to die for the sins of the world, for us to know God himself and that's the only way that that could happen. That's the only way we could be with him is for him dying for our sins. So Jesus comes to earth. He dies. He says that he promises the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit he promised from through, through John 14 through 16. This is what he will do. This is how he will lead you into all truth. He will not only be amongst you. He will be in you. After we are given the Holy Spirit we have the building up of the church and God then doing what he did with Moses back in Deuteronomy Back at the covenant, where he would write a covenant, and through those through those apostles, he would give a living covenant through them. When God, when when Jesus promised in Matthew sixteen eighteen that he was building his church, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. When he gave them the power to ju- be the judges of the church, and what he did was he gave them the right to write the covenantal laws that we have, the deposit from God that he gave. Previously to Moses, he was now giving under the new covenant and therefore we would have that covenant which dictated not only our history with God, what it looks like, but also what are the ramifications, what are the things that are going forward under this new covenant. And not only that, but he would promise something else. Not only the new covenant, what the church would look like, how it's going to run, all of those letters deposited in areas where heresy was going on so we would know how to combat it, but also he would send a promise that he was coming back again. Not only veiled in the sense that just like Daniel's book is was locked up, Revelation opens up. Revelation is the key to open up all of the Old Testament as well. So we look back, we look forward, we look during. Either way, we're all saved the same way. Old Testament saints looked forward to the day he would come. Those who were alive looked at the Jesus that died, and we look back at when Jesus died, and now we also get to look forward. We look forward to his return as we put on the helmet of salvation and his coming, and that we would recognize that our Lord is coming back for us, and the Bible is the most amazing book ever written. God bless.